are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. Second Timothy, right between First Timothy and Titus, over in the New Testament. Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. Now, while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit of the background of, of the book of Second Timothy. This is Paul's last letter, the Apostle Paul. This is the last, these are his dying words. This is the last words that we hear out of the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is like his son in the faith. He loves Timothy, and he'll say it like a father would love a son. Paul is in a hole. He literally, uh, the Romans had a, just a hole in the ground. Uh, and basically, it was open to where the sewage would come in. And what they would do, they would fill this place up. And when they got enough prisoners in there, they would open up, and they would drown them a lot of times in sewage. Paul is in a very, very bad place. Paul is about to die. The Romans are about to put him to death. Paul will be taken out of that pit. He'll be beheaded, and he will become one of the first martyrs of the New Testament church. Paul is a unique individual, but Paul is writing to Timothy. And I want you to listen. Paul is concerned about Timothy before he dies. I want you to listen. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Paul said, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now remember, Paul is about to die. He's writing Timothy. He wishes Timothy could be there with him. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Let's pray again. And before I pray, Zach, I tried to make contact with you. Zach's dad was killed in a car accident. And uh, Zach and uh, Madison and Amy, we want to pray. And I want to tell you, we love you and we're praying for you today. So I'm going to ask us if we would, let's specifically pray for Zach and his family. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, dear Lord, even in tragedy, that, Lord, we can look to the Scripture and know that, God, there's a heaven and that, God, you've provided a way through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we pray right now that you wrap your arms around Zach. That, Lord, you give him a peace that comes only through you. That, Lord, he feels your presence around him even now. Lord, we pray that he'll just look to your word and be guided and understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Lord, our prayer is, is that that promise will permeate Zach's heart so much that even now that he'll feel the love and the peace, the mercy and the strength that comes from you. And Lord, uh, we pray for any others in this room or who may be listening, that may be hurting, may be suffering, that God, you'll give them strength. Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Let me be a tool in your hand, Lord. And Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, we're going to be talking a lot today about the enemy, your enemy. Now, everybody listen closely. You and I have an enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. He's diabolos. He's the devil. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser of the brethren. Jesus called him the father of lies. In fact, we never look more like the devil than when we're lying or when we are slandering, accusing, gossiping. And, and so we have an enemy, but that enemy's greatest tool against you and I is fear, okay? You're either walking by faith or you're walking by fear. And so that's your enemy's favorite tool. Now, every time Jesus comes into a group of people, what did he always say? Fear not. Now, shalom was the normal greeting. Shalom meant peace. But in every case Jesus comes in, if he walked in right now, he'd smile and say, fear not, fear not. Imagine you walk into a group of people and the first thing you say is, fear not, fear not. I was reading this. I thought it was interesting. There's a, there's a movie out right now about Napoleon. It said that a sergeant, um, it said that segments of Napoleon's battle line were falling back in disorder and defeat in a particular battle. That Napoleon looked at, a dr at the drummer boy and told him, beat a retreat. In other words, on your drum, beat a retreat. The drummer boy saluted and responded to Napoleon. He said, sir, you never taught me how to beat a retreat. I can only beat a charge. The boy's replies kindled new courage in Napoleon, who instantly then gave the command, then beat a charge, drummer boy. The boy did so, and the seeming defeat turned into victory. Isn't that powerful? You know, that's one thing the church... Let me give you... Let me, let me just say something. The church is never told to retreat. Yet, all the way back. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, we're pounding the gates of hell. In fact, even in the case of our enemy, Satan, that we talked about a moment ago, the Bible says this, you and I are to submit therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me tell you, listen, we are not afraid of the devil, the devil's afraid of us. And the devil's afraid of what's in us, that is the presence 
indwelling Holy Spirit. So retreat is not something. But today, uh, well, let me read to you what a sociologist, one sociologist warned that today we live under a fear psychosis. He we have created a cult of safety today. I was listening to a, its a lectures. It's called the Academy of Ideas. It's kind of a think tank lecture. And I was listening to lectures on fear. And it made this statement. It said, society today, a sociologist named Barry Glasner states, listen to this, we are living in the most fear-mongering time in human history. And the main reason for this is, he says, is that there's a lot of power and money available to individuals and organizations who can perp uh, perpetuate this fear. In other words, there's a lot of money to be made in fear. And it's Satan's tool. If Satan wants to shut you and I down, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Well, remember what he said. He said, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Say it again. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then Jesus said, and I think he smiled. I think he broke out in a big grin and he said, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Satan can't stand that. Let me tell you, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. You and I have a joy, regardless of our situation, our circumstances. There's this inner joy in us and Satan cannot stand it. So guess what he uses against us? He uses fear. You see, fear is the enemy of faith. And that's what the enemy wants to do. Well, we're living in a day now where, where everybody's afraid. We're living in a psychosis of fear. Everybody's afraid. We're more secure than we've ever been financially. War in so many ways. Health. So many things have been done to alleviate fear, but we're more fearful than we've ever been in human history. Isn't that sad? Why? Because it's Satan's tool. It's what the devil loves to do. You know, had Abraham been filled with fear, he would have never left. The Bible said his father, his kindred, and his people in Genesis chapter 11 entered a covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He would have never entered a covenant with God had he been afraid and never left home. Do you realize what fear does to your life and my life? You ever thought about it? Frank Ferdy he wrote a book called How Fear Works, Culture of Fear in the 21st Century. Listen to what he said. He said, in the current era, fearing appears to be such a volatile and directionalist activity. It seems as if one threat begets another, only to be contradicted by yet another newly discovered target of fear. And I thought to myself, how true. One writer said this, Spitzen, I can't pronounce his name, in a book called The Philosophy of Fear. He said, there no longer seems to be anything that is secure. We seem to be obsessed with conceivable danger. Fear has become, listen to what he said, has become a basic characteristic of our entire culture. Fear of the unknown was seen historically as the realm of opportunity. 
Shelby has her friend here today from Duke University, Jacoby, and a fine young man. Got to talk to him yesterday at a special event for Kinsey. And Jacoby and I were talking, and, and I was asking about his background, and I think one of your parents is from New York. Did you say that? And as he said that, I said, well, I was born in New York. I said, I guess I'm from New York. And then he smiled and said, well, how did a guy from New York end up down here? And so we began to talk about that. And I said, my dad, my dad worked for NASA. And when I said that, Jacoby's whole demeanor, everything lit up in him. He said, and he looked at me, and he said, I'd give anything to be an astronaut. <laughs> Shelby, I had to look at him and smile and say, would you give up, Shelby? <laughs> and, he, and he cowered down like this, and he said, yes, I, to go to Mars? <laughs> Did you know there are 100 men and women that are being trained right now to go to Mars to set up a colony? Now that's resilience. Those people are not living their life in fear. But we begin to talk about NASA, about exploration, about space and all of that. And I said, to me it's the most fascinating part of, our, of nature itself. This idea of, of, of space and yet men and women, astronauts who have done all of the achievements that we've been able to do. Neil Armstrong landing on the moon talks about the enormous amount of faith that he had to have. It's interesting that in his book, his biography, he talks about he was in the lunar landing module, he's like this. He and Buzz Aldrin, they're like this. He says, we have a 30-second window to land that lunar, and if we don't land it in that time, we don't have enough power to pick back up off the lunar surface and to reconnect. He said when they said goodbye to the other individual, I can't remember his name, that was orbiting the moon, they didn't know whether they would ever see him again. Neil Armstrong said we were looking for that spot, that place, as best we could to study and he said, finally, when we set that lunar module down, he said, I'm sitting there like this, looking out, not even sitting down, sitting up like this. And he said, but the most faith moment was when I cut the engine. He said, because then the thought is, would it crank back up and would we take off? You don't do that and live that kind of life in fear. You just don't do it. Ralph Abernathy, who was uh, the individual that took over tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and uh, I've, I've got to tell Nancy, make sure Nancy knows the office is closed tomorrow in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We've done that for years and years to commemorate Ralph Abernathy in many, many ways, was Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand man. And after the death of King, the assassination of King, uh, Abernathy began to lead this, this movement, the civil rights movement. Ralph Abernathy, in the introduction to Neil Armstrong's biography, had gone with a group to, on civil rights to lead a march at the launching of Neil Armstrong. The, the, the rocket that he was on to go to the moon. Basically, 
challenging the, the enormous amount of revenue that was being taken to put a man on the moon. So here's Ralph Abernathy. Now let me tell you, and Jacoby, I wish you could ever, I wish you could know this, but the old Saturn V rockets that took men to the moon, my dad was responsible for that third stage uh, built by McDonnell Douglas, that third stage of that Saturn V. If a Saturn V rocket fired up in Morton right now, you would think this building was in an earthquake getting ready to come down. It's unbelievable, the power. It's a man-made earthquake. Ralph Abernathy, the civil rights movement was about to take place when they ignited that Saturn V rocket and the ground began to shake. It's unbelievable. There's never been anything created like it. The shuttle missions are not the same. We thought our house was falling down, collapsing when they fired that Saturn V. Ralph Abernathy said he was there to leave, lead a civil rights movement, to lead a, a, a march, when all of a sudden he jumped to his feet. He said, I turned to a little boy, and he said, I started clapping and shouting, and he said, I've never been more proud to be an American. We don't do those kind of accomplishments, even as a nation, in fear. I wrote this down. The tragedy is we now see everything through the lens of fear rather than faith. You and I will either walk by one or the other. Your focus is either on fear or it's on faith. Risk is now negative. It's seen as something bad. Risk is worth taking. Adventure, freedom, truth. Everything depends on it. We walk by faith. We don't walk by fear. Why would Satan want us to live in fear? Because everybody, listen, what you are afraid of, you are a slave to. What did Paul call himself in the Greek? He called himself doulos. You know what the word doulos is? It's the idea of being a slave, a servant. And the idea of lordship, you know what lord is? Master. So Jesus Christ is my master, I'm his slave, I'm his servant, I'm just simply doing what... Hey, listen, the fear of God trumps all other fears. If I fear God, I'm a servant of God, but I'm not a servant of nobody else, nothing else. I'm a servant of God. That's why Satan wants you and I to live in fear. Again, Frank Ferdy said this in his book, How Fear Works, The Culture of Fear in the 21st Century. He even brought up this. Listen to what sociologists call the COVID movement. You know what they called it? Listen to what they call it, sociologists. They, they call it inverted quarantine. It constitutes a response to the fear that the human condition is inherently unsafe. In other words, we've come out of a pandemic that was blown out of proportions and we were filled with fear. In other words, instead of quarantining the sick, which was, is human nature when somebody's sick or they have a disease or they're contagious, we put them, we set them to the side. We, we isolate the sick person, but instead we isolated humanity. We isolated all of us. And he said, this is the psychosis. He said it's turned into what he called the, the cult of safety, quasi, he said, religious experience, because whatever you and I fear 
has the, the ability to enslave us and to control every thought, every motive, every movement that we make. He went on to write, this cult of safety, this religion of fear has created an environment where risk takers, listen to this, are, are ostracized, seen as insane, as we saw with those who had the courage to put back, push back. You remember during covid we tried to close, we tried to close down. We tried in the beginning to honor what government was saying. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Because you came anyway. Marge is sitting there. Marge came. She said, listen, you're live streaming? I'm coming to church. And people begin to come back to church. Why? Because we do not live in fear. But he went on to make this statement. He said there were those that were pushing back against COVID-19, against the origin, this idea of gain of function, this genetic God playing with a pathogen virus which President Obama worked against. President Obama warned years ago that America, that the scientists of the world were dabbling in something that could create a pathogen. George Bush, George W. Bush said he used to dream about this happening because of what was going on, gain of function. Then we had a vaccine that in all honesty did not work and did not stop the spread of the disease. But the reality is, do you remember how we treated people who either chose not to get the vaccine, chose to question COVID, or chose not to wear a mask? We ostracized, we alienated them, and that's why sociologists called this whole COVID fiasco, they called it inverted quarantine, which normally you quarantine the sick, you isolate the sick, but now healthy people isolate themselves from what they deem to be a threat and they live in fear. Frank Ferdy went on to say this, how fear works in our culture. Inverted quarantine constitutes a response to the fear that the human condition is inherently unsafe. He called it the cold of safety, quasi-religious experience. Today there's a cold of fear, a religion almost, and fear means control, and if you bring enough fear, you can manipulate and control the masses. We live now in what he called the worst case scenario, a culture of fear, a zero risk environment. We're guided by the precautionary principle to protect ourselves. Ferdy went on to say people are educated to be preoccupied now with their safety and to regard being fearful, listen, as a sensible and responsible orientation toward the world. In other words, fear is now a religion. And if you don't buy into it, you're alienated, ostracized, and basically pushed to the side. You're seen as somebody that's dysfunctional, rebellious, defiant, disobedient. Why? Because you choose not to walk in fear, but to walk in faith. You see, what Jacoby did spoke volumes about who he is in his heart. When the idea of NASA came up, and he literally became illuminated. I'd give anything to be an astronaut. Let me tell you what he's saying. I don't live in fear. One of the men in flight, um, flight 92, 91, the one that went down in 
We, we always think about Todd Beamer, who the famous quote, let's roll, when they were going to commandeer and take the plane back from these uh, Muslim extremists who had taken control of the plane and were landing, planning on crashing it into the White House or thereabout. When the men took that flight over, and the women too, men and women, they heard that. In fact, the families were allowed to hear the scuffling and the fighting that was going on. They said that one of the men, a strong man, an ex-military man, one of the people said that it did not surprise them because on his desk were these words, fear, who cares? Don't you love that? You see, if you're going to build children, if you're going to build, if you're going to build a life that's going to make any difference, if you're going to, if you're going to stretch yourself to the boundaries of, of God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for your life, then you're going to have to settle this issue of fear. And you're going to have to make the decision, God, I'm going to walk by faith. And I'm not going to walk by fear. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to get in my head. And this is what Paul said, Timothy, you've done. You know what he said? He said, Timothy... You've lost sight of your gift, your giftedness. Paul said this, Timothy, do you remember when you were identified and set in front of us as a body of believers? Timothy, imagine this, the apostle Paul who spent three years with the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness being discipled by Christ, a man who had the equivalent of probably two to three PhDs, a man who may have memorized the entire Old Testament, a man who many thought would be the next high priest. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, a man who's dying in prison, who's had such a radical conversion to a religion that he was seeking to exterminate and, and stomp out. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you forgot that I personally placed my hands on your head and prayed and you remember, Timothy, through the power of God's Holy Spirit and the laying on of the apostolic gift, God gave Timothy gifts and abilities. And Paul said, I tell you what's happening to you, Timothy. There's a spirit of timidity. There's a spirit of fear that is gripped in your life so much now. You're not walking by faith anymore, Timothy. You've forgotten your giftedness. You forgot how God has equipped you and given you all this ability to step out and walk in faith. You're walking in fear. How many of us look at every time somebody leaves, goes anywhere, be careful. And it ought to be, have faith. Have faith. I remember, Jacoby, I remember when Alan and Celia came to this church for the first time. They were kind of fed up with church. And Alan tells this story. He said, Brother Jeff, we came. We were almost reluctant. But we came in here and he said, you got up here and you started to preach. And then you said, God's not in this. You crumbled up your notes and threw them to the door. And Alan said, in that moment, I knew God had us where he wanted us to be. A lot of times I would say to Alan and Celia, you have two young ladies that are extremely gifted, unusually gifted, do everything you can to push them to walk it out in faith. 
there's something about it. You know, I remember when we were going to Zimbabwe, Africa, family of six, four kids, riding to the airport. Sheila was with her parents. Some of the kids were with grandparents, and we were all making our way to the airport, and I was driving for the last time on, on, on the right side. You get over British, on British land, and you're going to be driving on the other side. I have to still think to this day, which side of the road am I supposed to be on, even after all these years? But I'll never forget, I was riding along, and a preacher friend of mine, Dennis Jones, was with me. He was sitting over there. My, my Bible, which is now an elephant-skin-covered Bible that was done during Zimbabwe, but I'll never forget, he looked at me, and he said, he said, man... He said, have you ever been out of the country before? I said, no. He said, man, have you ever even had a passport, passport before? I said, no. He looked at me, and I'm driving along. He, he leaned over and looked. He said, you're getting ready to go to Africa. As if I didn't understand. You know what I said? I'll never forget it. My Bible, that Bible was laying there between us. And I, I did like this. I tapped that Bible, put my hand down on that Bible, Ken, and I said, I'm banking everything that this truly is the Word of God. That's what I'm doing. And I'm going to tell you what. God did things in my life when I put aside that fear and I begin to walk out God's plan, God's purpose, God's will for my life, and Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you've lost sight of your giftedness, your purpose, God's will for your life. You now have allowed fear to so enter your life, you can't make any decision about anything concerning your future. And you know, I say to young people all the time, you know, we get caught up in relationships. We, get, we do stupid things in teenage years. And I, I think to myself, hey, listen, go to Mississippi State. Go to Ole Miss. Go to Southern. Go to Duke. UCLA. Oxford. Cambridge. Harvard. Go to these institutions and these tens of thousands of young men and women that are literally throwing fear behind them and saying, I want to I be all that I can be and I want to go wherever God sends me. And for some of them, they may not say that, but you will. You will. When Neil Armstrong cut the engine in that moment, he said it took every bit of faith. And let me tell you, I told my grandsons who were visiting the Aerospace Museum at Smithsonian, I told them, I said, do you realize some of the machinery that you see there your great-grandfather worked on? Do you realize this nation has been built on faith and never fear? Do you realize tomorrow when you celebrate the anniversary of the life of Martin Luther King Jr., do you realize that Michael King Jr., I meant Michael King, do you realize that the father of Martin Luther King Jr. 
was a man who walked the steps of Martin Luther, the great reformer, and at the end of it came back, looked at a nine-year-old little African-American boy, looked at him and said, Son, you're no longer Michael King. Your name is Martin Luther King Jr. He named him after the greatest reformer in Christianity. And my friend, you know what he was saying to Martin Luther King Jr.? Son, I'm setting God's plan, God's purpose, God's will for your life. And the, the nine-year-old little boy saw a giftedness come over him and God used him greatly. To say to a nation, no matter how much, how much you pound, how much you wave the flag, how much you pound the drums, there's a skeleton in the closet and we've got to get it out, repent of it and make it right. You see, the enemy would have you live in fear. Why? Because your gift, your, your abilities, your talents, all of those things are somehow lost. Paul said, Timothy, did you forget about fanning? You know what fanning into flame? You know what that is? That's sitting there when you got charcoal about to go out and you're sitting there blowing on it or waving and trying to get it to ignite back up. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, you've got to feed this flame. You've got to blow the wind of God's Holy Spirit over it so you can be everything that God wants you to be. And he went on to say this, and he said, Timothy, I'll tell you how bad your fear is. Listen to this, and I'll, I'll close in a moment. He said, Timothy, you know what really bothers me about your fear? You know what bothers me about you walking in fear and not in faith? It's not that you've lost your giftedness. Paul said, you're ashamed of me. And you can go back and look at it. Paul lives his life on the cutting edge. Paul, there's no fear in him whatsoever. He stands in Caesar's household and leads people to Christ. He stands before Agrippa, Felix. He, he stands before great governmental institutions and individuals. He stands up. He doesn't walk by fear. He walks by faith. He said, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that to which I committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know who I believe in and I'm walking that out. But he said, Timothy, what really hurts me you're ashamed of me. And then he says, and boy, this kills Timothy. And he said, Timothy, if it's not bad enough, you're ashamed of the gospel. The enemy has shut you down with fear. And you can't live out a life of faith anymore. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't run around with a mask. I don't run around getting the latest vaccine. We're the only, only two countries in the world even allow pharmaceutical advertising. We're one of them. I don't live my life in fear. I live my life in faith. Now, I'm not saying you don't take precautions, but I am telling you this. There is joy and peace when you and I live out a life of faith. But if you live in fear, you'll never achieve everything that God would have you to do. Let me tell you. That guy that hit that Bible and said, I'm putting all my faith in this. I'm believing that it is the word of God. Hey, listen. Anybody seen um, 
Anybody played with lion cubs? Anybody seen elephant roll over in a community and disappear under the water and their snout come up, massive animals, and all of a sudden they come up and they blow that water out? Anybody seen that? Anybody seen a giraffe take about 30 minutes to spread those legs apart and bend that head down to take a drink of water, making sure that they're secure before they do so? Has anybody walked in the grass hut villages where people are dying of starvation and giving food to them and watched them give those shouts of joy as children are finally having something to eat? Anybody stood at one of the seven wonders of the world and seen the ground thunder under their feet and a mist coming up in the air and stand there at Victoria Falls and see what is an unbelievable creation of God? Has anybody slept in a castle in England? Boy from Yazoo City preaches in the largest military base in England on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the first time they ever celebrated it and watched God come down. You see, a life of faith is a life that, that he can bless. And let me tell you something. Everybody listen, and then we'll, we'll close. It's not a boring life. To young people, your whole life's ahead of you. Oh, you can settle down, get pregnant at 16, 17. You can get called up in a relationship. You can get in trouble with the law. You, you, can, you can make all kinds of... Hey, listen, you can, you can settle for something less than God's best. But God has an unbelievable life ahead of you, and he'll give you life abundantly if you walk in faith. Now, here's the key. You've got to give him your life. You can just get, That's what you got to do. Lord, here I am. I repent of my sin, and I put my faith and trust in you. And God, from this day forward, I'm a child of yours, and I'm now your responsibility. Boy, there's freedom in that. You know what Adrian Rogers said? He said, the safest place to be is in the will of God. Hey, if Jacoby goes to Mars, I may call him and say, Jacoby, do you remember me? This brother Jeff. I hear you're going to be flying to Mars tomorrow. And I hear Shelby's going with you. Jacoby, could I ask you one question before I have to deal with Alan and Celia and Kenzie and counsel them for the next 10 years? Could I ask you a question, Jacoby? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that it is God's will for you to go to Mars and be a part of that colony there? And Jacoby looks at me and goes, yes. And let me tell you, the safest place for Jacoby to be is on a vessel making its way to Mars on a four-month journey to get there and to building a colony on Mars. Because you know what God does? God gives us that adventuresome spirit that just pushes down fear and walks in faith. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and praise you. Lord, may we learn even in the beginning of this series that resilience 
that strength, that courage is not built when we live in a society that is almost a psychosis of fear. It's just living almost in bondage to fear. God, may we uh, realize that if we're not careful, as Paul said to Timothy, Satan has given you this spirit of fear. It's a spirit, Timothy, that's come around you and over you and it's gripping you and crippling you. And Timothy, you've got to learn to walk again in faith. Lord, I pray for some in this room, maybe some who may be listening. They've never come under the repentance of sin. They've never given their heart, their life to you. And right now you're speaking to them and you're saying, listen, if you repent, if you'll give your life over to me, I'll take you farther than you ever could on your own. And so, Lord, I pray if there's one here that has never become a Christian, that right now they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I repent, Lord Jesus. And today... I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I'm a slave only to one, slave of Jesus Christ. And boy, there's an enormous amount of freedom from fear when you fear only God. So Lord, I pray today if there's others that may be here and they say I'm not where I need to be. I know I'm a Christian, but I've not been walking it out. Or I'm here today and I know what you're saying, Brother Jeff. I live my life in fear. I weigh everything with cost, with the caution and the trepidation that sometimes can come. I, I live every day guessing, second guessing, wondering the risk and, and afraid to ever stand up or ever to do the right thing. But God, today give me that strength. Give me that courage. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I love Jesus when the Bible said he set his face toward Jerusalem. And so, Lord, may that be who we are. And so, Lord, I pray we walk by faith. And for any other, other decisions that need to be made, may they be made now. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. You come.